Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Good evening, afternoon, morning, whenever you are listening to us. I'm Joey Powell. This is the Coast to Coast podcast on InsideCarolina.com, one of Inside Carolina's many podcasts that we put out for our subscribers and our listeners on a regular basis, and we appreciate you joining us once again. With me, as always, the two guys who actually bring the heat to this here kitchen, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. Boys, how you doing? Doing well. Congratulations to your Tampa Bay Bucks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, full disclosure, I'll let our listeners and viewers uh, in on a little a little surprise here. Sherelle told me before the before we jumped on this podcast that I need to change my pants because I am a Tampa <laughs> fan. Uh, but Sherelle, you don't have to change your pants if you're not wearing pants, buddy. Um, and that's, uh, that's, that's an old adage that that I've never been able to use before as a Buccaneers fan, at least not since 20 or at least not since 2003. And I have watched a lot of bad football. So yeah, this is, this is quite nice. This is quite nice. I'm actually using one of my nice inside Carolina highball glasses here. Shout out to <laughs> Rob uh, down in Clayton. It's one of Tommy Ashley's hookups, but here's to the Bucks. And now <laughs> let's get into what our listeners and viewers and subscribers are here for. While I'm thinking about it, make sure you take a second to listen, rate, review, subscribe, all of that administrative stuff. You know you like this show. You know you like Sherelle and Sean. You know you can probably deal with me. So at least give us a good review. If you hate the host, let me know. I'll try to be better. Um, I can't really do anything about Sherelle and Sean. They're, they're already awesome. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing what I can to play up to, to game speed with these guys. I uh, also want to give a big, huge hello, hoorah to our friends at Johnny T-Shirt for always sponsoring us, for always giving us the support that they give. Uh, they are huge believers in Inside Carolina, uh, huge participants in the uh, North Carolina, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill community. We want to make sure we continue to take care of them. Right now, hit them up. Uh, tons of sales going on right now. They change their sale items so often that I can't even keep up. Um, but the chances are, if you need some Carolina gear, they've got it. They've got it at a great price, and they've probably got a larger selection than you've ever been able to wrap your brain around. JohnnyTShirt.com, right there on Franklin Street. Hit them up, take care of them, and they will take care of you. Boys, let's take care of some recruiting news really quickly. Uh, probably not something that Tar Heel fans would want to hear, but Sherelle, uh, throw the, the wet blanket on the, the Hunter Salas fire. Uh, yeah, so he has announced a commitment date. Uh, so he's announced a date in which he will announce his commitment, <laughs> and that is uh, March 26th. So still a couple of months out from that, um, but it doesn't at this moment seem to be something that would be of interest to North Carolina fans moving forward. Um, he has a top eight list, I believe, but most people feel it's going to come down to uh, uh, Gonzaga, Kentucky, and UNC with Gonzaga kind of having a lead at the moment. Yeah, it's crazy how late they got in on that. But I think uh, you've always said that, you know, it's it's anybody's game. And especially with Gonzaga kind of getting their their momentum and looking as good as they look right now with Kentucky looking the other way. Um, and then North Carolina's guard situation looking different than it probably did three months ago. You got to think that that makes sense for Gonzaga being in the lead, right? Yeah, this is one of those uh, times where people always say, well, can – 
how they play, you know, in a particular season can impact the recruit. And most of the time it's not, it's, it's that like, Oh, somebody had a terrible season. Does X player still want to go there? And the answer, like I, you know, I told you guys on Saturday during the IC live uh, on WCHL, which everyone should listen to Absolutely. Uh, these guys, those guys are super confident. And so they think that they can come in and be the next guy. What is different is that this is a situation where a team played so well that it made a more favorable impression on a recruit if he doesn't uh, indeed uh, commit to Gonzaga like most people think he's going to. So he's seen what that team has done. He's seen the style of play. He's seen the freedom the guards have. He's seen kind of them going up and down while everyone else is walking the ball up the court, it feels like, this season. And I think that's appealing to him, Um, not to mention – you know, he knows some of the guys up there, and it's one of the places he was able to take an official visit to before the NCAA halted recruiting back uh, last April. Um, so I think when you add all that up, it's a rare situation where, uh, you know, on the court play actually does matter for a recruit's decision if he does pick Gonzaga. Well, and I want to make sure that I give you a shout out for being the Inside Carolina Live radio show hype man. I appreciate that point to the passer on that one. And uh, yeah, definitely anybody listening to this show, if you'd like, please listen to the Inside Carolina Live radio show on WCHLChapelboro.com. Hit up your Alexa and say, hey, play WCHL. Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Yours truly, Tommy Ashley. Cheryl makes an appearance. We're going to get Sean on at some point. It's tough because it's 7 a.m. where he is. And I'm not sure that he wants to stop his ex Benedict to talk to Tommy and I. But the invites, the invite's going to come whether he knows it or not. So moving on from Hunter Salas, let's talk about something a little happier. Guys, three or four weeks ago on this show, I think a lot of folks, I don't think anybody on this, uh, on this particular Zoom and on this panel were jumping off of the bandwagon, but there were a lot of folks that were jumping off of the UNC bandwagon and were ready to bury Caleb Love, uh, didn't think RJ Davis was worth sticking around, uh, just wanted to put a fork in this team, fire Roy, whatever. This squad is not by any means, you know, uh, an elite level squad right now. But I think we can all agree that they're playing much better and they're making the improvements and having the general track or trajectory that we've come to see from Roy Williams teams. Sean, I'll let you jump on that one first. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, January 4th, we were talking about really UNC, you know, the rest of the year is going to be ugly. Uh, but that was that was fine because, you know, they might have to play ugly to win. But at the same time, the last four games, I think we're starting to see kind of a, a UNC offense that everybody is accustomed to. You know, they're averaging over 80 points per game the last four. And, you know, really, unless they were playing Iowa early on, 80 points was something that for the most part wasn't wasn't in the ballpark. Um, I also think we're starting to see the steady improvement of the freshman guards there's been a lot you know from lineup changes to you know playing with different people but little by little I think you've seen their confidence grow and I think we've been able to see um, you know some of the play that we thought we would get earlier in the year um, I, I still think there's a a lot more room for improvement especially when it comes to Caleb Love um, but he is you know the, the past few games he's been doing extremely well and then finally you have Armando Baycott, who was just pretty, pretty awesome this whole, this whole week in the two games. And, you know, he's, he's really been one of the steady, steady hands all year. So he's truly made, you know, everybody talks about the, the sophomore jump and he's kind of a, another living, breathing embodiment of that. So, you know, once again, the, the teams they've beaten have, have not been, uh, you know, giant killers by any means, but at the same time, they're not losing to those teams and they are 
uh, definitely looking a lot better on the court. Sherelle, I mentioned this on uh, the radio show last week. I want to throw this to you because I think this is something that'll be right up your alley. So I'm going to tee this up and go ahead and give me a good Griffey Jr. swing on it. Um, Roy Williams said in his media veil on Friday, he talked about comparing Leaky Black to Dudley Bradley and to uh, Jackie Manuel. I'm not sure that I had heard that he had given, you know, at least in my mind, when I consider Jackie Manuel, I think about, Okay, Roy essentially told him, don't shoot. You go be everything else. And I don't know that I had heard that yet about Leakey, um, at least from an offensive standpoint. So maybe I'm reaching here, but how do you feel like that, you know, that Jedi mind trick may or may not have worked? Because if it, we've said on this show before, if Leakey Black can be a stat stuffer everywhere else and give this team some stability, then I think it ratchets up their, their ceiling a little bit. Do you think that, that Leakey's actually finally bought into this, or do you think it's just uh, – do you think it's Roy just kind of playing on the heartstrings of some old defensive players? What do you think's going on that's actually gotten Leakey Black to a point to where it seems like he's not taking the dumb shots. It seems like he's not hurting the team when he's out there. If nothing else, he's kind of giving that silent, steady stat line. I think it came from being benched, honestly. I mean, he – uh, as a sophomore, he knew that he was likely going to start. I think this season he knew he was likely going to start. <clears throat> and we talked about it a dozen times, but as a sophomore, they really couldn't take him out because there wasn't the depth on the roster to do that. And I think this year, especially with Anthony Harris coming back now, there is the depth to do that. So it's a situation where if Luki does something that, that Coach Williams or, or that Roy Williams doesn't like, he can easily take him out of the game. So I think that's definitely part of it. And then, two, it takes some time to realize who you are, I think, within a college basketball program, especially one in North Carolina, especially one where, you know, he missed a significant part of uh, the second semester of his freshman year with that ankle injury. So he missed that, and he was playing some at the three. He's playing some point guard. And then last year, he played uh, point guard as, first as the backup in the starting three. Then he became the starting point guard. So he's been jumping around, I think, for <clears throat> a couple of years. He's had injuries. It never became clear exactly what he was on the roster. It was like, oh, he's a, he can be a good player, but what is he? <laughs> And I think this year he, he realizes what he is, which is he is a um, low usage rate, you know, rebounding defensive guy. That, that's kind of what his identity is. Now, he can get better at that, but I think he knows who he is on the court now. And that's as big as anything is, is um, talking to people like in, in, in the NBA who scout and all that stuff. They talk, talk about anchor skills like something that anchor you to the roster. And I think he's finding his anchor skills uh, in those things we talked about, rebounding, trying to you know become the best defender he possibly can, a lot of room for growth in, in that regard. And then, you know, take a shot if you're open, but make sure it's a good shot. You know, and, and I think people hate when he uh, takes the, those uh, long twos. But <laughs> I think part of the reason he takes them is because he doesn't feel comfortable, you know, shooting out the 22 or 23 feet. And he feels much more comfortable taking, you know, taking a 19 foot shot. So I think to me, that's some recognition. That's I'm not a good three point shooter, but I'm, I think I'm a decent 18 foot shooter. So let me take a dribble and take the 18 foot jump shot. Whether or not that's true or not, you know, we can see. But I, I think you start to see that kind of recognition and that kind of thinking for him when he's on the court. So all that together is why I think he's starting to play a little bit better. We've talked a lot about, you know, how this team really needed to improve their spacing. And one of the things I think that has specifically benefited uh, or who has benefited from that spacing improvement is Leaky in a sense that he's able to now get 
those little drives to the basket and get the little, you know, eight footer or a layup or, you know, a little floater or whatever, which, you know, that's a lot more comfortable for him, obviously, because he's taking them with more conviction. And, and it's good to see him doing that because again, I think that that makes him a matchup nightmare for the other team's three. And, and if he can continue to, to do that, I think he adds another dimension to the offense. It's, that's a great point though, for you pointing out that, you know, it seems like he may have found his anchor skills or at least uh, is starting to understand his role. Sean, I'm going to come back to you a little bit about uh, the Caleb Love, specifically the guards. I think Caleb Love has actually become a better defender just in the last week and a half. And I'm wondering how much do you think that plays into him being a better offensive player? Do you think it's getting him more engaged? How do you you feel like his defense is generating his offense or at least playing him up in his own mind? Yeah, I think his defense has been amazing. Um, You know, I I think one, his his effort you've seen, you know, he's he's rarely – getting beat off the dribble. Um, UNC has been involved in a lot of pick and rolls because all the teams just want to get the mismatches with the bigs. Um, but he's one of the few guys that continuously fights through the screens as well. Um, so, you know, in terms of his effort and energy, and that was something, you know, just yesterday I was going back and rewatching that weight game. And that was something that stood out because, you know, offensively you think of his, his 20 points that he had, but in reality, he, he was struggling offensively the first half up until the six minute mark uh, when he was able to get loose um, and score eight points really to end the half. And then almost the same thing in the second half, you know, he had, he had a, a basket early, but then it wasn't until the end, but the defensive effort kept him, I think, engaged and made him a presence. Um, I think there's also been several possessions in both games where he wasn't credited with a steal, but he forced the turnover, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a, a bad pass or, you know, something happened, but his effort was the reason that the turnover happened. So, you know, I don't know if that was maybe kind of a, uh, Anthony Harris effect of seeing how hard he was playing, but to your point, Joey, the defense has been what has impressed me. And then, you know, offensively, um, it's, it's coming around. It's not there yet because you're, you're still seeing it come in stretches, but that's still a lot bigger improvement than what we were seeing earlier. Um, you know, the three point shot, I think he's, he's feeling more comfortable and the range has never been an issue. It's just been, sometimes it's been going all over the place, but now it looks like he's just shooting without, you know, thinking, uh, which is good. And, and even on, on his pull-ups, you know, they're just finding the bottom of the net. So once again, I, I think in general, um, you know, as you said, I think the defense is giving him that energy and he does have more of the confidence on the offensive end. I think the two improvement points for him, um, one is just continuing, and going back to Leakey, I think one thing he's done really well is the entry passes from the three-point line. And I think Love and Walton still need to work on that. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing for Love. And then the other thing, you know, we see him on the fast break where he's able to throw down these thunderous one-hand dunks. You know, I think a large part of it is his wingspan and and how how high, you know, his, his arm reach is. But there are times when he goes into the lane in traffic and he kind of almost – you know, it's like the, the a slow Euro step almost where, mm-hmm. you know, one was a travel, another was a block shot. And I think he just needs to, you know, attack a little, a little harder and it'll give him a better opportunity for some more, some more baskets in the paint. But overall, he's, he definitely looks a lot better, but still, you know, still a lot more room to go. The transition bucket that, or I don't even know if it was a transition, it may have been a half court where he got a drive and got it way up off the arc, off balance. That was a tremendous <laughs> shot and it shows why he was rated, regarded so highly as a scorer coming out of high school. I want to take a quick break and let the national guys plug some ads in here. We're going to come back and talk a little bit about defense. 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves, demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop, make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus. All right, appreciate you guys sticking around and listening to the Coast to Coast podcast on InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell. With me, as always, Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan, talking about the Tar Heels and the improvement they've been making, not only individually as players, but as a collective unit. Sherelle, I want to, we, we just talked a little bit about defense, and I may have teased this wrong before the break. Um, one of the things that I've really started to appreciate is the way the bigs are finding their own space on the floor in offense. Uh, I would love to see, you know, Armando Baycott and, and Dayron Sharp sit a little bit longer when they try to get those spots on the blocks. But one of the things I think has been really neat, and it won't show up on the stat sheet, is when Garrison Brooks is playing along with one of those guys, he seems to be setting up in the high post and giving them room to operate, which also gives him the option for that little, uh, you know, 8 to 12-foot jump shot, which he's proven that he can make. How do you feel like these big guys are evolving within the the scope of the offense, at least in a half court setting right now? Yeah, I I think Garrison has realized or is realizing that there's just too much congestion when he's on the block trying to post, <clears throat> when they're screening for the other post to get open. It's just it's too much in there. And I think the coaching staff has purposefully, I think, told him, "Hey, man, you you've got this 16 foot jump shot that looks pretty good." take it whenever you want to. It, it's, it's there, you know, we got you covered on the boards, take it. And I think he's realized that and you're starting to see him do that more, which, you know, again, carves out space for, for Dayron and for a bake out on, on the block, but also, you know, sharp has hit a, a, a free throw line extended jump shot. Now he's hit it twice. Bay, he's hit it twice. And <laughs> yeah. Baycott now I think has three on the season. <clears throat> I believe it is uh, free throw line extended. So just those little, that little bit of, uh, you know, jump shots from them, uh, Brooks being a threat, you know, kind of um, free throw line extended as well. That's opened up things when you add in Kerwin Walton, that's opened up things tremendously. Like if you go back and look at Carolina's offense, I think from those first few games, the mm-hmm. calls of Charleston, you know, North Carolina central Iowa, there are literally seven or eight guys, you know, inside the three point arc um, almost <laughs> at all times. And I think you started to see it. Part of it is because of the way NC State plays. But against NC State, you started to see that kind of spreading out and, and coming out a little bit, which gave a lot more room for drivers. Uh, Love had several finishes in the paint. I think Leakey had a couple of finishes like that. Um, so everything that they're doing, the way the bigs are setting up, Garrison shooting free throw line extended is just making space for the team. And I think that's why you're seeing this kind of um, – We'll call it offensive explosion, but that's why you're seeing the offense be much more efficient and potent the last few games. Yeah, the fluidity and, and the flow and anything that evolves flow adjective you want to use there has definitely been much better. But your your point is great about earlier in the season where just inside the arc, it looked like 
the crowd of people that would show up at the counter at Bruce and Mickey's when they brought up the new potato wedges, like whenever they brought out a new batch of the fresh potatoes, <laughs> it would get really cut. crowded. Yeah, that's a deep, deep, deep cut. <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate it, but it has been good to see again, like we mentioned, the spacing and how that's improved the flow of the offense. I think you know if you look, this team almost had ninety points against NC State. Part of that is because NC State uh, is somewhat suspect on defense and likes to push tempo a little bit, but. Guys, think about it. And I heard Dewey Burke say with Tommy on the postgame podcast, we were wondering earlier this year, could this team you know, regularly hit 70? And they came close to touching 90 against NC State this past week, which I think was, was a little more transition. Sean, what can this team do to continue to get more transition buckets uh, in addition to just getting their hands in the passing lanes? Well, I think in terms of transition, one is, is knowing how to – how to execute the transition. And I think it really took for that Wake Forest game to see UNC properly running a fast break in terms of when are you making the correct pass to put the other guy in a scoring position. Um, and the other thing was just being a lot more active defensively and, and putting pressure on. So, you know, part of that, I think, it, once again, going back to Anthony Harris, he kind of showed that that first game he came back. And, and then against Wake Forest, you got a lot of guys active. Uh, you had you had Leakey making some some great passes, and then you had the other guys finishing. So I think you, little by little, we're starting to see that improvement. Uh, we're starting to see the tempo go up. Um, you know, people knowing when to push the ball and and when to take good shots. I mean, even even R.J. Davis has been doing has been doing um, I think a pretty stellar job for the most part. There's still some times where he forces the issue or gets a little, you know, a little too deep um, yeah. when, when driving. But, you know, against NC State, I thought he did a pretty, pretty good job and hit some shots. So overall in transition, I just think it's, it's continuing, continuing to be active, um, you know, whether it's trapping or pressing, uh, but then just knowing how to, you know, when, when is the right time to make the pass on the break and having the person that can, you know, take it strong to the basket. We talked about, uh, I may have been last week, we talked about, you know, Ant Harris coming in and how quickly he was able to inject some energy to this team. I think Sherell mentioned that, you know, the, the, the staff was going to have to be really diligent in sticking with his his minute cap. All right, this is the, the second week we've been able to talk about Ant Harris. How much of a difference maker is he? Am I seeing this? I mean, his, his you know, he had, 10, he had 11 points in 10 minutes this past week. It was enough for, for Roy to make a quip about it in the postgame. Sherell, can can the Tar Heels expect this out of Anthony Harris every week now? You know, so let me – I'm going to answer your question, I promise. That's I'm going to go back just real back, real quick to the defensive stuff. Sean talked about how well Caleb is playing, and to me that is directly proportional to how the fast break has improved because it's cyclical. If you have good on-the-ball defense from your lead guard, it's much harder for the other team to get into their offense. If it's much harder for them to get into their offense, they're more likely to take a bad shot. Uh-huh. UNC controls the boards. UNC is able to get rebounds. They know to push. So it, for me – like the entire thing, I don't want to put too much on Caleb, but it starts with him. If he continues to play really good on the ball defense and disrupts the opposing team's offense, I think Carolina's break will continue to get better just because um, it just makes it that harder. And we know that it's very difficult to get offensive rebounds uh, on UNC. Well, I shouldn't say that. At times, it is very difficult to get offensive rebounds on UNC. And then the fast break starts going. And, you know, those guys are confident in it now. Part of it was they just didn't have many, many opportunities the last – 
you know, a couple months to really get into the break because teams they've played have been playing very slow outside of NC State and Iowa, really. Um, so I just wanted to go back to that. I, I think Sean made an excellent point about Love's defense. And to me, all that is connected. As far as Ant, like I said last week, man, he needs to retire. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, half, I'm half kidding, half serious. Like he has no flaws right now for anyone. He's played perfectly. Um, and, and I think you can start to, to maybe not plug him in for 10 points in 10 minutes, but you can plug him in as someone who you know is going to come in, play good defense, might hit a shot or two, um, will make a great pass, you know, might get a layup or two, um, and, and, and just do things to, for winning basketball. That's what he's done his entire career um, at his high school with his AAU team. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you can do that. But I also – just like we said last week, I think everyone has to um, resist the temptation to amp up his minutes and, and get him to 15 or 20 minutes just because those are two huge injuries he's coming off of. And I know, I know Carolina fans want to see him play a lot, but I think you have to protect him from himself to some degree. Um, and he's got, he's got five more years at Carolina if he wants it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's got a long career ahead. So just kind of take it slow and continue working him in. But yes, I, I think he is a difference maker. Um, I know it's only seven games now, but I, I think he's shown uh, that he can come in and, and make a difference for, for this UNC team. If nothing else, it looks to me as if he has a more under, a greater understanding or a, a more comfortable feel for the game. And I think you can see that in when he makes his cuts. I think you can see that in, in when he knows to jump a route. Uh, when to stick his hand, jump her out. When to stick his hand in front of the passing lanes. You can tell I've been watching football today. Sean, Alexander jumped a lot of routes today. Sean? Yeah, no, I think I think you're right on on Harris. And, you know, one, just kind of seeing him in that nine to ten minute range. I know we'd all love to see him higher, but I think controlling the minutes is smart. But even against NC State towards the end, I thought, you know, I thought he made some, you know, just in terms of his quickness and how hard he's playing. But one, when he – you know, push the hard, push the ball down the court hard and, and finished. And then he had kind of that hard drive left. And once again, going back to what, what we kind of talked about last week is nobody's really had just that speed and intensity when they attack. Um, yeah. And as he continues to get more minutes, once again, that's just going to put more pressure on the defense. And now, you know, is it making a kick out to, to Walton or the guards or a feed in the post a little bit easier? So just that speed and quickness, uh, can really be a game changer. And it takes pressure off of the young guys, which, you know, any time that you can see that. Uh, I, I do hate to see um, Puff Johnson in a boot. Not sure how long-term that is. Won't really speculate about injuries here. But uh, I do think that, you know, that's that's one less chunk of minutes that somebody like an Anthony Harris can get. And I do think that helps this team just from an experience standpoint and, and fitting in. All right, not really ready to change expectations for the season yet. But let's talk about Pitt. That's who North Carolina's next scheduled game is. And I say scheduled in air quotes because we know how things may change with the coronavirus and uh, just everything being so, so volatile. I've seen Pitt play a number of times this year. And uh, aside from Justin Champagne, which I don't understand how P-A-G-N-I-E is penny, but whatever. Uh, Justin Champagne is a baller. I, I'm willing to, to go ahead and concede that. I've seen Pitt play some, some zone this year. I've seen Pitt play, um, you know, they, they they played really great in the first half against Wake this past weekend, did not play great in the second half. I'm not sure what they're getting out of this team, which I guess is normal for a young squad, much like Carolina. Cheryl, what do you think the Tar Heels can expect to see out of Jeff Cable's Pitt Panthers when they play this week? Uh, yeah, I, you know, that's basically what you said. I, I think they'll change defenses a good deal. Um, 
from what I understand, I've only seen, I only watched them maybe two or three times. Um, they are, they are an excellent defensive team. One of the best in the ACC. Um, I think in Kim Palm uh, under defensive efficiency, they're like top 40, something like that. Um, so uh, I, I, the last two games that I watched of theirs, uh, Syracuse and Duke, you know, they, they played really well. I mean, Syracuse, they just destroyed them. Um, and that was more because they were hitting shots than anything. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I can't give you a detailed breakdown because I've only watched them a couple of times. Uh, but I, I think the, 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 the word is out on UNC. Uh, you know what you need to do to stop them. And it's just uh, put pressure on the guards and uh, try to limit, you know, getting them getting the ball inside, limit the touches of the guys in the paint. Because UNC will have an advantage on that end. Um, I think the nightmare is Champagne against UNC's bigs mm-hmm. um, when they get those switches. Uh, we saw what – uh, Devin Daniels did on Saturday. I All mean, of the fouls. Had, yeah, and I think he had Daniels ended up with twenty four or twenty five, and it seemed like he could get what wherever he wanted on the court whenever he wanted to. And I think Champagne is is a better basketball player at this point. Um, so that is the main worry for me. Um, Johnson and Tony are also good players. I don't know as much about them. Again, you know Pittsburgh had a two week break, so they've missed um, quite a few games as well. Uh, so you know, again, like you've always said. Who knows who's good in the ACC? You know, they beat they beat Syracuse and Duke, and then they lose to Wake Forest. You know, just it's hard to tell what's what from from game to game. I'm still not sure anybody's any good, but I, I liked your breakdown there, uh, Sean. How do you how do you feel like this Tar Heel team matches up with with this Pitt squad again? You know, and Pitt's had uh, you know the Louisville loss. I don't think is so bad. They lost a game to St. Francis early in the year, which I'm not sure if that was just an early in the season thing or if they had some COVID issues or what, but. Uh, how do you feel like the Tar Heels are going to match up against against Pittsburgh this week? Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. I, I think it's a very, very important game, especially being the the lone one this week. And once again, just kind of given the back half of the, the ACC schedule, um, you know, I think as Cheryl mentioned, there's going to be a few key factors. So just going back to Xavier Johnson, I think he's been, you know, he he had a pretty good freshman year, um, and I think really regressed last year as he wasn't really the, the, the focus anymore. Um, but I think he's, he's back playing at a high level. And I'd say his first step is really probably one of the best in the ACC. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, can, this is going to be a game where Caleb will have to have to focus. And he, if he can keep Xavier in front of him, I think that's going to go a long way because I think what Cable is going to do is just try to, you know, run the pick and roll on uh, whether that's getting Xavier on some of the big guys so he can attack the basket or any of the, you know, the smaller guys um, and mismatches and let them attack. I think that's, that's going to be a focus point for them. Um, so, you know, hopefully goes, goes UNC's way where they're more out of their offense and taking four shots rather than just killing UNC ISO plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think defensively, um, you know, they're going to try to obviously limit, limit the offensive rebounding, which is easier said than done. Uh, but they're going to have trouble. They're going to have trouble with UNC's size, I think. And, you know, if UNC can shoot the ball well, um, I think, you know, I would feel confident in UNC getting the win. But once again, it's going to be a, a dogfight, as most of the games have been. It would be a big win. I think UNC has more talent, but Pitt does have some talent, as we saw in the Duke game. And if they get uh, if they get UNC in those ISO situations and are doing well, it could be trouble. But once again, I think it'll come down to really how well can UNC uh, execute on the offensive end. And if they're playing like they did the past few games, 
then, you know, hopefully we're, we're back here next week uh, in joyous moods. And I also want to throw this out to Tar Heel fans. The situation with Justin Champagne, should he go off this week? Please do not say this is some random guy who is killing North Carolina. Because if you've watched him play at all, and I think he lit Carolina up last year, but if you've watched him play at all, he is an absolute assassin. And, and I think the, you know, the comparisons that you guys made earlier, he's got a ton in his bag, you know, maybe even more than a Devin Daniels player because I think he's a little bigger. But uh, he's got a ton in his bag, and it's going to be tough for UNC to kind of to keep him under control this week. Boys, before we, uh, before we say adios and I get off to my, uh, to my Buccaneers celebration for the evening, Anything else you guys want to add about uh, about this coming week and and how the Tar Heels seem to be trending, Sherelle? I would just say with the Pitt game, another thing to watch is um, that Pitt, even though North Carolina hasn't played as fast as it typically does this season, it's still one of the faster teams in the country. And Pitt um, basically averages the same amount of possessions as Carolina does per game. So I think maybe that bodes well. <clears throat> the first NC State game, I I think we thought what was going to happen is that the open court would help UNC's guards because it was free, but they just weren't ready for that yet, and they turned the ball over. I think what happened on Saturday is that they were ready for it, and you saw North Carolina put up you know 89 points, which I think they're averaging around 89 points exactly against Kevin Keats' coach teams at NC State. So uh, the thought is that perhaps, again, with – you know, Pittsburgh wanting to play faster than most of the teams that Carolina plays, maybe that's an advantage for UNC's guards in kind of a free-flowing game. And they don't have to think and and process as much and do as much in the half court, and they can get out and run. Man, I'm not sure how to take that. I mean, you know, you're talking about UNC scoring a lot of points against NC State. I was I was told that Kevin Keats, you know, predicated his his coaching career on defense. That's that's that sure is perplexing. Uh, Sean, anything you want to add before we put a put a nice little bow and, and send this uh, send this episode on to John Siegley, producer extraordinaire? Yeah, I think you know in terms of the the random pit player that you know we're probably cursing their name. It could be Ithiel Horton. Um, so he he's a transfer from from Delaware right now, shooting thirty four thirty four percent from three, but shot over forty percent as a freshman. And he in the two, in kind of the back to back. Syracuse games he had nine threes over those two games so I think mm-hmm. he's kind of a a role player to look out for in that one especially if you know they're trying to iso you know draw the defense in kick out etc and then um kind of mentioned his name at the beginning but we, we didn't really touch on him but Armando Baycott you know one thing for him was those left-handed finishes he had as he was going going left I thought one off the dribble off the dribble um so I you know once again you know, from a, a body perspective, a bounce perspective, and and now even, you know, that left hand, things are, are coming together. He has a 128 offensive rating. So, um, you know, can he, can he keep it up and um, can he continue to play at a, at a high level? All right. You heard it from these two. They know the deal. They've watched a lot more basketball than we have. So I want to give them a, a huge shout out. Oh, Rel, I'm sorry. One more thing from, no, from was, the esteemed gentleman from Concord. I was just going to make a joke. That's probably not going to be funny, but you know, they play uh, UNC plays uh, Clemson, not this coming Tuesday, but next Tuesday. Yeah. It's like, you, you kind of wish they could move that game up as quickly as possible because Clemson has been so bad. They are. Yes. <laughs> the last couple of weeks. I mean, I've never seen a team, honestly, that I can remember who started off well and that people thought could win the conference three weeks ago. That's Brad uh, Brownell squads though, man. Like, even uh, this, in COVID times, that's that's Brad Brownell's M.O. 
they've been down 35 or more like in three straight games. I, that I, is that is a dog cussing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I you know we'll we'll talk about it. I'm sure next weekend <laughs> pending everything. But uh, you just wish they could move that game up quickly so North Carolina could get uh, Clemson while they're while they're reeling. Yeah. That uh, that showing they had this past weekend. It affirms what we thought about Florida State, but uh, yeah, it may take a little bit of the luster off of Clemson's early season start. Gentlemen, as always, I am honored to be in your presence. Appreciate the insight and just general demeanor with which you grace this podcast. Uh, Appreciate y'all being here. I hope you have a great week. Thanks to everybody for listening. Remember, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, We will make sure that you get all the good stuff. If you like what we're doing, five stars. If you don't like it, let us know. Until then, thank you to Johnny T-Shirt. For Sean Moran, for Cheryl McMillan, I'm Joey Powell. This has been the Coast to Coast Podcast on InsideCarolina.com. Late. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.